everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 180, if you're single and you know it. Recorded February 15th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week, um, all by his little lonesome, is Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome all of the fine Denzians of Element Opieville. Sorry, that's what I got this week. Denizens, is that the word you meant? Yes, sorry, bad East Texas accent and all of that. So there's already like a 17-second Skype delay between us. This is going to be awesome. Uh, We're going to be stepping on each other and not hearing each other. Welcome to the wonderful world of technology. Um, So it is uh, February 15th. I don't know how big a deal St. Valentine's Day is outside of the U.S., but uh, for those of us inside the U.S., it is a big deal. Even for people who say it is not a big deal, young men, if you're listening to me, if your woman says, I don't care about Valentine's Day, it's a lie. You better freaking get her flowers. Um, so yesterday was Valentine's Day. Um, so I, we, we, we call it also single awareness day. Um, so that's why the title, if you're single and you know it. So Seth, how did, were you made aware of the fact that you were single yesterday? Man, I was made aware of that long before, uh, yesterday, but. I- <laughs> I worked out in the yard and, um, my yard, my front yard is now officially non crappy looking. So, uh, haven't got it up to good yet, but it's not really bad anymore. And I got, I got finished in the afternoon. So our friends up in Boston are jealous. I'm sorry. Your friends up in Boston are jealous that you could work in your yard on February 14th in short sleeves. And I got a mild sunburn. <laughs> I even, I even glistened a little bit because. Because it was like uh, over 70 degrees on Saturday. But uh, I was working in the yard, and then I finished up uh, with this one little section, and it was about 3 o'clock. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to clean up, and I'm going to go somewhere tonight. And then I, I get all cleaned up, and I go, oh, crap. It's Valentine's Day. The last thing I want to yeah. do is go out and see all these couples everywhere because I might just kill them. So uh, I just stayed at home and did nothing but watch TV. So yes, and I was if, made. The, yeah, go that's ahead. If you could have gotten a restaurant in a restaurant uh, on uh, yesterday, so you know you might have been made to feel bad, but you would have had to wait in line for an hour for the privilege of feeling bad had you tried to go out yesterday. Yeah, but you know, I did see some great things on Facebook. Um, one of my favorites was "I love you more than." Kanye loves himself, and uh, I don't think such a thing is possible, but you get points for that. Uh, I love you more than a back alley hooker loves crack was another one that I thought was funny. So Facebook, you know, there was lots of single appreciation out there for us. Sorry, that's... uh, While I fully admit... While I fully admit that this is a bogus and made-up holiday, um, I'm a married man, and I like to stay married, so I have to contribute to the bogus and made-up holiday. Much like Mother's Day is also a bogus and made-up holiday, but I am married to a mother, therefore I must genuflect to social convention on Mother's Day. Um, and, and it's all right. I, I, one of my favorite things was... Uh, uh, a picture of an old picture of St. Valentine. Uh, obviously, there are no photographs of him, but a drawing, a rendering of him. And it said, uh, you know, I was beaten to death. I uh, had my back broken. I was uh, stabbed and burned alive. And you celebrate my uh, birthday by giving chocolate candy, uh, harp-shaped chocolate candies to people. And I thought, well, that's that's true. Well, and uh, St. Uh, Patrick was known for bringing Christianity to the Ireland, and we celebrate that by drinking green beer. So I don't think our holidays actually mean anything anymore. Yeah, they mean uh, they mean go out and spend money at stores. That that's all they mean anymore. <laughs> Welcome to consumerism. So I would like to hear from the 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 global audience. Is Valentine's Day a thing in your 
uh, in your neck of the woods? Or do, do you even know what we're talking about? Anybody who's Catholic or some der- derivation of the Catholic faith should know who St. Valentine is, since he's you know in the Book of Saints and, and such. But uh, is St. Valentine's Day a big thing for you? Um, I don't know if it has always been in the U.S., but it has been for as long as I've been alive. Um, things like that uh, tend to be cyclical. Uh, Halloween wasn't as big a deal uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago as it is now, and in other countries it's not as big a deal. So uh, it, it's it's interesting to me how things like that evolve. So let me know uh, what what you think. Uh, Chris, uh, the command line godfather, um, is not with us today, uh, allegedly, because he's not feeling well. I think the real version is is because it's his birthday. So happy birthday, Chris. I think he turned 13 today, um, something like that. <laughs> I'm sure if I looked on Facebook, I would know, but... He's he's younger than I am. Yeah, he's the uh, he's um, the uh, there was kiddo of the group. If if I sound distracted, it's it's because of the technical issues going on. The Skype delay is really messing with my head. Uh, so if I if if I'm less professional than normal tonight, uh, I apologize in advance. Uh, I, one other thing I wanted to comment on: it is currently thirty ish degrees right now um the high was in the the low 30s the low was in the teens uh therefore all of georgia has shut down um and in fact uh, my kids were out of school already next week for winter break it was just something that was scheduled but uh a neighboring county has closed school tomorrow because there's a forecast a 10 percent chance of frozen precipitation Starting at about 4 p.m. on Monday afternoon. That's the current forecast. So naturally, we've canceled school tomorrow. Uh, well, it's for the children, year, Mark. As you'll recall, we had yes, it is for the children. We had a we had a snow event last year um, that caught you know pretty much all of the South, not just Atlanta, not just a few counties around here. Caught us uh, off guard. I spent that particular day eight and a half hours making the 23 mile drive from home to work. Uh, from work to home uh so nobody wants to repeat that but come on people in fact today 20 no almost 35 I, i'd say hours before this this 10 percent chance of precipitation is set to occur there were brine trucks out on the interstates in the atlanta area pouring salt water pre-treating the roads saturating them with salt so that when the sleet and and blizzardous wind uh, weather falls, it won't stick. So we've gone from underreacting to super major overreacting, and I wonder how many years that's going to be the case. It's it will always be the case, um, just because people are stupid. You know, the fact is, there's no persons. You know, it's 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 uh, idiocracy by committee. Um, has gripped large swaths of the country. And unfortunately, those swaths seem to be increasing faster than viruses reproduce. <laughs> and there's just nothing, nothing you could do, but nothing you could do about inst- institutionalized stupidity. Um, no, and, and last theater. year, last year, um, like the governor of Georgia, issued a public apology for the fact that ice fell from the sky. Um, somehow he thought it was politically expedient to apologize for that meteorological event. It probably was expedient to do that. Um, I, I, You know, here's the thing, Mark. You can't be too hard on him because he might not realize the meteorological process that happens to enable ice to fall. He probably thought it was George Bush's fault and being a good Republican just wanted to get the preemptive apology out there. Because, you know, it's our fault for killing the environment and producing sleet. Those things never happened before uh, George Bush took office. Right. So. Okay. Sorry, uh, I'm going politics to weekly. Move along. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the one bit uh, surprisingly, 
We have not yet been inundated with a great deal of, of listener feedback about last week's show. I expected it to be significantly more than it was. Uh, at this point, I've had a few, um, most of which aren't worth commenting on, um, you know, for, for various reasons. They didn't say anything of substance or they were just rude and, and not worthy of, of comment. Uh, but I was surprised by that. But at this, this audience, I expected would respond more to the things that we said last week. Maybe people just haven't been listened to, uh, listening to it and maybe it will come later. Uh, but I did mention last week that I had a listener feedback that I forgot to play. So, uh, I will rectify that now by playing, um, this message from Robert, uh, talking about live CDs. Hey guys, it's Robert in Alaska again. I just was listening to the podcast and you were mentioning problems with live installers and discs for magazines and everything. I've also seen it where sometimes the media that they've created using, used as a master to get, uh, the disc made for the magazine had bit rot in it and, uh, when you check the MD5 for the cache, it wasn't good and downloading a new version helps. The other thing that's really helped me is I've also had times where I will go to install. I do an install. Hardware doesn't work. It freaks out and does weird things. If I start up the live version of it, hook up to the Internet, either through a hardwire or through Wi-Fi, whichever it let me do, magically, after the install, things work properly. It's like it downloaded the proper drivers in the background or it probably got information in data. I don't know what all they're doing, but uh, that's what's worked for me in the past. Uh, again, thank you for the show. Keep doing it if you can. I uh, don't care if it's once a month, once every six months. Just uh, I'm hoping you guys continue on. Thank you. Bye. All right, Robert. So uh, he's. Uh, we talked about this. It was quite a while back about how sometimes uh, a live CD will work as a live CD, but then when you install it, stuff doesn't work. And his suggestion is perhaps you have an, uh, an, a live CD that needs to be updated or just being connected to the internet during the install process might fix it. I haven't had that experience personally, but Robert has. So wanted to share it with you. Well, you know, I totally uh, agree with him. I've had some of those things, you know, and part of it is just because five seconds after they did that image, somebody reported a bug with the model of hardware that you're using. And so there's this little bug fix that happens in the background. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. And if you're not hooked up to the internet to get that live, then it doesn't know about the issue. And so you're wondering why this CD is flaky. So I totally agree with what he's saying. All right. Um, and so, okay, we'll move on. That was our only bit of listener feedback this week. Uh, we'll uh, move on to uh, our, the links, the news of the week. Uh, and to follow up on a story we did last week, Crunchbang may not be dead just yet. Well, actually, it's more like Crunchbang is dead. Crunchbang zombie is back. So um, there's a Crunchbang plus plus site. Um and they are going to revive it and kind of keep it going, but it is now going to be based on Debbie and Jesse packages. And they even say on their website, Hey, um, what we have up now is a beta, more of a proof of concept than a full fledged release. So don't expect everything to work. Uh, it's, so it's almost like they're starting over, uh, to revive Crunchbang rather than picking up the distro and moving forward or picking or switching the base of the distro, which in a lot of ways is almost like starting over. So it died uh, and it was buried, but you know, I hadn't even had a chance for rain to fall on the gravesite yet. And here it comes crawling up through the ground to live again. So Crunchbang is dead. Long live Crunchbang. So do you know, I don't know. Uh, and it's okay if you don't know what the original Crunchbang was based off of. Was it an Ubuntu derivative too? So is this really reviving Crunchbang or is this a whole new thing that we're just calling Crunchbang? I, I think, I don't know what it was originally based off of. Um, um, is now, so I, I really don't know what it was. So I think 
that this isn't a continuation. I think it's a continuation of the spirit of Crunchbane, but the actual code base is going to be a little different. That's my understanding yeah, that, of reading the article. That's how I read that too. Not being a big Crunchbang fan, I didn't know, but it sounds to me like it was um, it was more a, a spiritual successor than an actual successor. So maybe the ghost of Crunchbang rather than the zombie of Crunchbang. Right. Okay. I I could buy that. So uh, this next story, I love the topic, uh, the the tease that you've given it, Seth. So I'm just going to go straight with it. More people use Facebook than are on the internet. What? Yes. Um. And this story came from the Atlantic dot com. So you know the technological powerhouse of the Atlantic is the one who's reporting this story. But they go and uh, they notice this in um kind of some Asian countries where it's like and I. I don't remember the exact numbers in the story, but they'll say how many people use the internet. And so the answers say 25 out of a hundred. And then how many people use Facebook? And the answer is like 30 out of a hundred. So they were scratching their heads and go, wait a minute. If Facebook is on the internet, how can more people use it? And so what they realize is that people who were on Facebook didn't realize that there were other things you could do on the internet they thought that if it wasn't on facebook it didn't exist in in digital life so you know there's no youtube there's no google searches there's no um what else do you i mean uh you know no digital banking no um man what else do you do without facebook i don't i don't know i play games um so I, I, I saw yes. a microcosm of that in my own house. My my mother was over visiting, uh, and I had my laptop, and I was tippity-tappity-tappity, um, and she had her phone, which is her primary method of, of interacting with the world, uh, and I'm tappity-tappity, and she was looking over for tappity-tappity, and this went on for you know a couple of hours, because that's what I do. I am all, I'm always on the internet, um, and so finally she said, how come I'm not seeing the stuff you're putting on Facebook? Uh, cause I didn't put anything on Facebook. Well, I, I don't see your posts. And I, I opened my Facebook tab and it's like the last post I made was four months ago. So, uh, if you're missing something, it's probably because you just don't remember. I don't post on Facebook a lot. It's, it's not my thing. She said, well, you've been on your computer all afternoon. Yes. Well, what do you do? I'm, I'm on the internet. I'm, I'm, you know, doing stuff. I'm web surfing. Well, how come I'm not seeing your stuff on, on Facebook? Oh, uh, okay. Now I see. Facebook is one small part of the internet. I'm on everything else. Um, so yeah, I saw that live out right in my own life. You know, my 66 year old mom didn't understand that the internet wasn't Facebook and Facebook wasn't the internet. Yeah. And you know, this article, it made one, there's one paragraph in there that really kind of made me stop and think. And I'm quoting directly here. This is more than a matter of semantics. The expectations and behaviors of the next billion people to come online will have profound effects on how the Internet evolves. If the majority of the world's online population spends time on Facebook, then policymakers, businesses, startups, developers, nonprofits, publishers, and anyone else interested in communicating with them will also, if they are to be effective, go to Facebook. This means they, too, must then play by the rules of one company, and that has implications for us all. So it was just kind of like a man, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, but no one believes there's a forest, (laughs) it doesn't matter, you know? So it was just kind of one of those things is like, wow, I don't like, and of course, you know, Facebook is the most popular thing, but you could make the same case for Google. You could make the same case for iOS and apps versus the true web and programs, you know? So, Facebook is just the easy one to talk about because people get it, but the danger of being locked in, because then, you know, it's not what your elected officials say, it's what the CEO of Facebook decides um, people are going to see whenever they go to the news, um, because if they don't like that news story, then they bury it in their things, and unless you're searching for specific things, you never find it. So it was just kind of an interesting, right. thought-provoking article. 
And that argument has been had uh, before about uh, Google's personalized news searches. Uh, if Google personalizes your searches for things it knows you like, you will never see anything you don't like. If you're Google, that's a good thing, right? Uh, people, they, they want happy users, right? But if you're, say, uh, a political dissident, that's a bad thing because your message gets um, hidden without necessarily being censored. It's just Google trying to give people only what they want. So it, Google would know that I'm a, a, a political conservative and would not show me searches for, uh, you know, politically liberal things. Um, I'm happy. Because I'm seeing the things I like, um, I'm I'm swimming around in my own personal echo chamber, and that makes me happy. It doesn't, but let's say it does. Um, and and so everybody wins, except for truth, justice, and the American way, as Superman would say. Right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, I don't know. I quit using MSN's homepage because they went to ultra customizing based on what I, and it's like the thing that I used to like about them is I could see everything and you know, and everything was there and I could kind of scroll through and pick out weird, interesting stories, but Oh, you like comics because you clicked on comic links three days. So here's half the page and the other half of the time you click sports. So here, and occasionally, you know, we'll throw in a computer story to keep you happy. And all of a sudden it's like, where's, where's everything else? It's like, People who only watch Fox or only watch MSN and think they're informed if because they, they get the news from their trusted source and they don't need to listen to those lying bleeps on the other side of the fence. Nobody wins except the um, company providing the content and raking in the advertising bucks. That's the only winner. Yeah, and it really does all come down to listening. Uh, and what you what you don't want listening is your television, Samsung. Um, so this, when I first read this, I thought it's another one of those uh, much ado about nothing. Samsung smart TVs have voice uh, communications uh, capabilities, voice uh, activation, as does my phone, you know, and my watch, and and so many other things uh, that these days are coming with it. So it has to listen. It has to be on all the time listening to know what you do. But Samsung says, well, not only we're we listening, but we're, we're going to be passing them on to the server. Not just our servers, but third parties too. Oops. Exactly. I mean, you know, I this story, it boggles me. And, of course, their thing is you can turn it off, but then you lose the voice customization features. I'm like. You know, at least they give you a way to turn it off in this generation of television. Uh, in the next generation, you probably won't be able right. to turn it off. Um, so I don't understand. I mean, okay. I, it just, I'm a tinfoil visor kind of guy. You know, I, dude, I don't think I would buy a Samsung TV. And this is, this is direct bearing on me because I've convinced my brothers to go in and we're going to buy my parents a, um, a larger TV for the front room. They got married on Valentine's day. So that's their anniversary. So, you know, rather than, you know, us each getting them something, we're going to pool our resources and get a TV. And I don't think it's going to be a Samsung because, um, or if it is, it won't be hooked to the network. So, and then it will totally lose all the benefits of having a smart TV. It'll just get dish and that's all. So I, I would not want that yeah. in my house. I just I wouldn't want it. Yeah, I don't I've know what I've, else to say. I've said before, but you know, my phone, the my phone, the Nexus Five, and and my watch, the Moto Three Hundred and Sixty, both listen for the catchphrase "OK Google." Uh, so it's listening all the time, listening for the phrase "OK Google," um, and and that's fine. It that is a something on the chip that is listening all the time. And once I say "OK Google." I keep doing that. Every time I do that, I picture somebody listening to it and their watch or their phone starts beeping. So I'm going to keep saying, okay, Google. So every time I say, okay, Google, the, the chip set says, wakes up and says, okay, this is something. And then what you say is sent over the internet. I, you know, I'm okay with that kind of. It's still potentially uh, a problem because just t today I was sitting in, in my car listening to an audiobook and somebody on the audiobook said something that sounded like, okay, Google. Um, and my watch woke up and, uh, said, 
what do you want? And then I, I was watching my watch and it was transcribing the book that I was listening to, just dutifully doing his job, going through the whole paragraph about uh, uh, General Grant and his uh, uh, military tactics um, and sending that off to Google dutifully because that's what it's supposed to do. Uh, so that, there's a potential for that. What if I had said, um, you know, uh, maybe, uh, okay, Hubert, and it thought I said, okay, Google, and I followed that up with, I've been secretly in love with you for years, I know you're not gay, but I had to get that off my chest. Well, now that goes out to Google servers, and it's available in a search somewhere, so there's there are problems uh, with that, um, but... You know, at the same time, at least Google has, uh, a, they, they've been around long enough. They've been picked on long enough that they have a better response to it. Samsung's response to it was, well, we encrypt stuff before we share it with other people. That's not helpful, Samsung. You're still sharing, yeah. sharing it with other people. Definitely. I, there's no, I just, you know, it's one thing if it does the search on the machine. And it, it, um, looks to see, you know, do I have this movie on file? You know, is this app installed? Yes or no. Is it one of these 10 commands? No, you know, ignore. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with, you know, Hey honey, what was our checking account password again? Um, you know, that information, honey, what's the, what's the password to chase.com? Butterfly 78. Now it's gone outside of your house, outside of Samsung's networks, and advertisers know that your password to chase.com is butterfly768. And, you know, that's just, that's, but it was encrypted. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's encrypted. So, you know, but, you know, again, is it really encryption if everybody says, if everybody knows the password? So, yeah, it, it boggles the mind. It, I, it's just sad that this kind of thing happening is just like the thing that boggles the mind is that this doesn't boggle the mind. It's just like, oh, well, darn it. Right. Can't talk in the living room now. So. Yeah. Well, this, this goes to back, back to what we were talking about just a little bit ago institutionalized stupidity. Only in this case, it's not governmental stupidity. It's, um, you know, uh, corporate stupidity, but it's still, it's the same problem. It's institutionalized stupidity. Samsung really honestly doesn't see what the big deal is about. Well, we, we, we encrypt it. So we're good, right? We can move on. This is not a problem. No, this is a problem. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, if you're going to provide that service, there is a security risk inherent in that. So, you know, if you're using, say, the uh, uh, Amazon TV app uh, plugged into your smart TV and you're using the search function, search for how to train your dragon, it has to pass that to, quote unquote, third parties. Um, so the, it's, the problem is not that Samsung is doing anything wrong. It's that we are not OK with the things that they're doing. Um, and, you know, we it's there's no. <sighs> It's, it's, it's no, what am I trying to say? I don't feel that they're doing anything wrong necessarily. It's the potential for them to do something wrong that I'm worried about. And they don't have a response to that concern. They should have a ready response to, to ease my mind about that. Well, see, I feel they are doing something by default, sending everything you say to the server there needs to be a list of specific commands that they listen for that trigger the next thing you know hey samsung play youtube okay if you say hey samsung then that triggers it and wakes it up and then that result gets sent that's one thing to say to instead of automatically send every single thing that's said and again, you know, has metered internet connections become more the norm? How much bandwidth is this going to destroy? You know, it's going to destroy your internet plan whenever you're having conversations or, you know, you're playing uh, music, uh, on your tablet. All everything that's being said is being sent down the pipe. So that, that's another thing. 
But again, right. if it was a specific, hey, Samsung, or play whatever, if there were code words that kicked it off, you know, then I would be less upset with it than by default transmit everything. Right. And show me a light. Just put a little light that comes up anytime the mic is on. That would make me feel a little better. Just a, just a little LED. Yeah. All right, so let's let's move on to the next story. Um, the the we talked. I think I talked about this last week. The Raspberry Pi uh, majorly upgraded the the processing power, kept the price the same. Um, but there's an odd little weird glitch about it, which uh, would really only affect tech reviewers and maybe photographers. Yeah, it turns out that if you take a picture, um. And any camera that uses a Xenon flash trigger, it causes the Raspberry Pi to crash and shut off. So, you know, we can tell you it's an awesome looking chip, but we just can't take a picture and show you because it might crash the Pi. Uh, it was just, it's just kind of one of those funny little, um, I don't really know how serious it is because, you know, most people are going to have some type of enclosure around their Pi. Um, you know, and that's all it takes to fix it is just, you know, right. put a little index card over it. But, uh, it was just kind of one of those funny stories that, oops, nobody, you know, who's going to think about if I take a super bright light and take a picture, is that going to cause this chip to crash? Um, so. Right. And it's, it's easy, easy, easy for me to forgive that design flaw because who would think about that? That's not even in the testing, uh, regime you know right. um to to think about whether or not you could flash a certain frequency of light on this and it would keep working um but it's it's a fun news story anyway yeah this is one you can just kind of point at them and laugh and you know it's one of those we're laughing with you not at you kind of oh my gosh i can't believe i did that and uh everybody can chuckle and they get some good publicity out of it so uh but you know yeah i wouldn't say why didn't you test this? You know, because then your $35 pie, you've got to pay for $5 billion worth of R&D to try all these different frequencies. And, you know, what happens if it's on its side for three days or if you mount it upside down? Does the was it soldered hard enough to keep the connections in place? So, yeah, funny story. Um, not a big deal. All right. And, and following up on a story we talked about before, the core infrastructure initiative uh is a is a product project that's out there to to help fund uh updates and and uh, further development on things like ssl that are are infrastructure as the word says core as the word says but not necessarily uh um at the forefront of anybody's mind so we have an update on that yeah, cause, you know, they're open sourced, uh, run by people kind of in basements and, and they're, they're small projects. Um, and they're things that have been around from before security was a big deal when just being able to prove you could do it. That was the big deal. So nobody thought about security. And so they're, they're examining all of these and, um, so he just kind of gave an update saying that they've begun like a third party audit of the entire open SSL code line. And then they're, they're undertaking research initiatives. Um, and then they're organizing projects, um, to go beyond simply funding specific open source projects and moving towards additional resources, such as shared testing and secure coding best practices. So, you know, I think really it's kind of, um, it's kind of like, cause this was just started last year and it had, it came about after Heartbleed, and they're already up, and they're moving forward, and they kind of hit the ground running. And he urges, and it's something we've urged many times, is that um, I urge companies that use open source software, and it's hard to think of any technology that doesn't today, to join and support the CII. Um, if you, and he says, if you have an open source project uh, that you believe it's important to the larger ecosystem, then, like, contact them and see if you can get a grant. So... You know, it's one of those, I wanted to give them some publicity and keep them out there um, just so people will remember that they're still there. And, you know, wasn't this about the time that we realized, hey, we need to start 
supporting too. And so we kicked off our support yes. to open source projects. So yeah, it's, it's going good. And it's just one of those things, you know, sometimes you just need to be reminded to keep doing the right thing. And that's kind of what this was. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about that. So we'll move on to the next one, which is bizarre. Um, but it, in, in the Sharknado kind of bizarre way, it's you can't turn away from it. So BitTorrent is a technology that was created to share files um, in a robust manner with uh, low latency so that you share the burden across many different servers or peers. Uh, it quickly became the way to download uh, pirated movies. Um, and there's now this plan to legitimize that process to by creating movies weird yeah um well you know a lot of we've talked before about some places that have released their stuff on BitTorrent first but they are actually um it is called BitTorrent I just I blanked on the name and I put it in there BitTorrent Bit originals. originals yes so and their first one the title is catchy called Children of the Machine is a, an original video distribution agreement. And they're, so I don't know if it's going to be like an, um, asylum production level quality or hopefully something better. But, um, the content of the thing is, Hey, we're going to kind of help fund this and, you know, distribute it. And then they get exclusive distribution rights for 60 days. And then after that, you know, it can go to, theater, home video, DVD, you know, Netflix, whatever. So it's one of the things that they're doing. So, um, uh, yeah, it's kind of to help repair the image of BitTorrent just being for, you know, uh, digital pirates out there. But, hey, look, we want to legitimize so people pay for a uh, premium version um, of their, of the software that gives you rights to this. So yeah, I don't know exactly how it would work out. Um, but I, I think it would be kind of cool. So I don't know if there, you I, know, I think this is, 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 this is not a gambit to create good content. This is a gambit to have the ratio of legal versus illegal content shift, uh, via BitTorrent. Cause right now it's, um, uh, internet dist, uh, Linux distributions, Porn, Hollywood blockbusters. Um, those are the only three things on BitTorrent. And the internet distributions are 4%. Uh, movie blockbusters are 40%. And porn is 56%. Um, made those numbers up. Don't, don't write me emails, people. Um, so they, they, Too I late. think they, they just want to shift the balance a little bit. Yeah, it's already, my, my audience can type fast. Uh, so I think it's really about shifting the balance and they don't really care if they're good quality. That would just be sort of a bonus, I think. Well, I don't know. I think it's more positive PR. It's just like, you know, they want to shift the perception of BitTorrent from being the digital piracy haven, you know, the gateway to Pirate Bay to BitTorrent in the same class as Netflix. You know, so if you think of BitTorrent in the same way you think of Netflix, then this move is a success. And a lot of young people who are, you know, um, I don't know, high school, maybe the millennial generation, they probably don't even realize that, you know, maybe they don't realize the history of the torrents that were used as a way to circumvent uh, copyright and spread piracy. So, you know, I think it's more, you talked about shifting the uh, percentages, but they also want to shift the recognition of BitTorrent. So move it out of, out of seediness and into, um, you know, into legitimacy. So uh, they want to do both. Yeah, and and also there's there's also laying the groundwork for legal defense in the future, right? Um, you know, we you can't say BitTorrent exists only for thievery because look, here's all this original content, right? A, a interesting idea. We'll see what happens. Yeah i I hope it works out. You know, and honestly. I, I want to like IMDB children of the machine and see what it says. And, uh, I, if it's good, you know, 
I would probably watch it just to give them a chance. I love the concept of getting content through BitTorrent because it's perfect for when you have, you know, limited quote unquote near high speed bandwidth. Um, I could, I could launch BitTorrent and queue this up on my, you know, before I left for work and probably, you know, by the time I got home or the next day, it's there ready to play. So it works perfect. If I could do Netflix that way, I would be paying for Netflix now. But, uh, so it, it's a I, way. I remember well, the problem with Netflix though is, sorry, Seth, the, the problem with Netflix though is that by the time, uh, if you did it that way, you would own a copy of it. And Netflix is all about not letting you own a copy of it. So that's the thing that's going to be interesting about these BitTorrent originals. Are they going to build in an expiration of some sort? Because the whole purpose of BitTorrent is giving you the file. When you're done, it exists on your hard drive. It's yours to do with as you please. So um, are you buying the movie uh, a la DVD rental? Um, or are, is there, is it some sort of rental thing with a, with a built in, uh, a DRM that won't go over well, but I could see this as a way for me to download content, Hollywood content. Uh, but to, you know, again, they're doing their own originals. So it's gotta be something so good that I hear about it. I want to see it. I want to pay for it. And then I want to spend the time and bandwidth to download it, download it. Well, you know, um, it has been years ago now, I want to say six or seven, maybe eight years ago. So before there was really a Netflix, um, or before I had heard of Netflix, I rented a video online. I downloaded it and there was DRM baked in and they were upfront about that. It's like, you can hold this video for however long you want, but once you click play, you have 24 hours. Um, you can watch it as many times as you want. Right. And this movie will hours. self-destruct. Yeah. And I loved that concept. You know, if there was a, I, I would not mind that DRM in my situation, as long as it was up front, Hey, you can download this. And the second you hit play, it's good for 24 hours, you know, or as long as you have an active subscription, um, you know, one of those things where it cues it, I, I don't know. It, it, it pulls the website to see if your subscription is valid. As long as your subscription is valid, that key works. You know, some type of public key, private key pairing. I, I would, I would love, I would welcome something like that. You know, digital content providers would make a lot more money off of me if something like that were accessible instead of having to, you know, queue 10 minutes to watch two minutes worth of video queue another 10 minutes to watch two minutes it's just that's not worth it for me right and for netflix you're an edge case but for the population at large you're not you're still there's still a huge percentage of the world that doesn't have broadband even by the old standard let alone the new standard Uh, right but netflix would say you know 97 percent of our customers this isn't a problem yeah but how many more customers could you have if it if you had another way of doing it, yeah, Netflix would say you need the DVDs. That's what Netflix would say, and pay extra money for the DVD player. Right. And I'm like, no, which they're trying to get rid of, pay. you know, right? The, yeah, uh, I, and I I still do the DVDs because I, I like to to have them come to me <laughs> rather than have to. Well, the, one thing the library is different. If the libraries were the same. If everything I could stream, I could also get on DVD, and everything I could get on DVD, I could also stream, I wouldn't have the DVDs. But the DVD library is like four times the size of the streaming library. Yeah, and I don't Uh, Moving on. uh, uh, (laughs) The lag. Oh, the lag. Um, uh, Score one more for common sense in the courts. Yes, the um we had talked before when Net when Newegg won their shopping cart patent. Um so the same company that lost with uh Newegg brought it back in court and there's a um I should have highlighted it here. Um the company should have been barred because of um you know it um let me see, what did it say? Um they they 
argued in court that it did not have the incentive to fully litigate the issue of non-obviousness on appeal. And so they're essentially saying in the past, we won big using this argument. Um, and since we lost, we didn't think we would lose. So we didn't investigate other alternatives. And the judge, um, the appeals panel said, um, that's a load of crap. Score one for uncommon sense. You're still a loser. Um, and of course they said it in all legalese, but yes. So, um, software trolls, patent trolls took another hit on this. And actually they took the same hit again. So, you know, nothing like kicking a dead horse when it's down. I didn't hear anything you just said because your Skype connection just tanked. I'm going to assume I agree with it. Um, and while we try to get your Skype connection back, now is a good uh, time for me to talk about our sponsors over at the linuxacademy.com. Uh, their goal, their stated reason for being is to take you from being a Linux uh, newbie to a Linux administrator by way of their step-by-step video courses uh, that are designed to take you, uh, prepare you for certification. Um, they, you know, again, as I just said, they have the, the, the video course, uh, lessons, but it's, it's so much more than just videos. They have written materials. They have, uh, test quizzes, uh, uh, practice quizzes. They have full on, uh, practice tests. They have, uh, a, a community of users in their forums. They have, they have, it's just, it's so much more than just videos. I, I, I'm one of the things I fear when I do these ads is that I leave you thinking that this is just a collection of YouTube videos. It's so much more than that. The videos are just the the way they got their start, and it's still their primary emphasis. But there's so much more than that. Uh, they're they're a full learning management system. And one of the things uh, that I like most about it, and that I talk the most about, is their their virtual lab platform. You can have up to four machines running simultaneously out of eight different distros. Uh, you can pick the ones that you want. You can interact with them in real ways, so you get this real practical experience. And and as any geek. As anybody, period, geek or otherwise, will tell you one of the most effective ways to to cement your learning. You can learn it by reading. You can learn it by watching. Um, but to, the way to cement that learning is to put it into practice. That's why so many college classes have practicums or labs. And that's what the Linux Academy offers. And, and I don't know anybody else that offers that. Uh, of all the other services out there on the Internet, I don't know anybody that offers this lab system that Linux Academy does, uh, where you can have four high-powered servers running uh, in in at simultaneously in the virtual environment, communicating with each other, act, interacting as if they were real. And in fact, they are real, but they're in a protected, enclosed environment so that you're not going to to accidentally end the world by creating Skynet. Um, and and this that's the great thing. And another great thing about it is their their uh, their learning plans where you tell them when you're available and they create a syllabus based on your availability and based on what you want to learn and they track your your progress they tell that you'll get a daily email saying here's what you need to do today here's what you have done uh, you're on track for this uh, the, here's the test that you need to take you might, might want to study for that here's the the lessons we recommend that you watch you don't get that kind of personalization again from anybody else that I know of so the Linux Academy is really differentiating themselves not from having good videos. Lots of places have good videos, but they're differentiating themselves from good customer service. Imagine that. A company that wants to stake their claim on serving their customers. Uh, that's why we love Linux Academy. And and besides that, you know, it not only appeals to that part of me, but it also appeals to the tightwad in me because it's 25 bucks a month for their basic service. Wait a minute. There isn't just a basic service. It's all, it's the whole service. It's everything. Now, once you get inside there, there are other courses that you can sign up for that may cost extra uh, other features, but everything that I've decided, uh, described for you is part of their, their one rate flat price. So $25 a month is the most you can pay. If you buy a quarter, three months, that's $65. Uh, so that's $10 off if you buy uh, three months. If you go annually, it's $215, which breaks down to just under $18 a month. So all of this stuff that I talked about, the videos, the PDF study guides, the practice exams, the forums, the the learning plans, the lab platform for the price of a pizza a month. If you're serious about learning, these guys are serious about teaching you and you can't find a you can't find this product at this price anywhere. When you go, uh, use our special link, uh, linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, and you will get a special price. 
Um, that price changes uh, based on my negotiations and my beating Anthony up for better deals. So I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you go there, you will definitely get a price break over the prices that I just told you. LinuxAcademy.com. Yeah, I just want to, you know, we say it all the time, but it's well worth repeating. They are responsive to you, you know, much more responsive than some professors I had in college. Um, if, if you like odd hours is your study time, you know, don't expect a reply instantaneously at two in the morning, but expect something the next day. They will get back to you because they care. And also, if you're on the fence about thinking, is a career in technology for me? Could I, do I want to be a network administrator, a server admin somewhere? $25, spend it for one month and go in and do some of the lessons because it's not like you're learning the history of Linux, although they do have a class on that. You are learning how to configure, how to install, how to, and then you are doing what it is you would be doing on a regular basis. And you think to yourself, is this something I could do on a regular basis? And if it's that or, you know, shoveling asphalt, building a road in the hot summer sun, you're thinking, I could type on a computer. Then you've spent $25 and invested in your future. And then after you spent that one month and fell and decided you like it, then buy one of the extended things for the savings. All right. Now that we've broken the flow of the show by putting Linux into it, let's talk about the most customer centric distro. It's not what you think. Yeah. This was, I was like, huh? But Arch Linux has won the free software award for the most consumer friendly Linux distribution. Um, Aaron Griffin received the award from Richard Stallman and Linus Torvalds, uh, at the Libra Planet conference at UMass Boston. So, and then they go in there talking about how awesome open source is and how, um, RMS said it's great, but it could be more free. And, <laughs> <Of course>. uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that's just like, you know, so there you go. But yeah, Arch Linux won. It was like second last year and it like won this year as the most consumer friendly Linux distribution. So way to go, Arch. Power to the Arch heads. Yeah, Seth, we should have had you crash earlier. Suddenly things are way, way better now. Um, oh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe when we're having trouble in the future, we just need to go ahead and crash Seth, and then things will be better. Um, so here's an interesting thing. Uh, we talked about Linux. Now let's vilify Microsoft a little bit, uh, because you know we all know that uh, they're going to. Um, they have dropped support for some of their older software, so they're not patching old software. But in this case, they're also not patching a currently supported bit of software. Oops. Yeah, and of course, you know, I mean, hey, we've pointed out Apple's security's flaws, and we've pointed out Linux, and honestly, we've kind of stayed away from Microsoft because it's just like, you know, it's not that interesting. Well, it's called Patch Tuesday. It happens every month. Right. But here, this bug, relatively recent, it's only been out 15 years, um, and it can allow someone to take complete control of a PCs running all supported versions of Windows. So, so I really don't see will, this as a problem. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's new and it's not very powerful. So I don't know what people right. are making a big deal about. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. If it runs on all supported versions, it probably will also run on the non-supported versions, such as your XP and Windows 2000. And if somebody still has an NT disk lying around, they want to boot up. So um, it took Microsoft over a year to fix, and it involves um, their Active Directory service, which is basically what runs every corporate network in the world. Yeah, so that's um, not a big uh, deal. I mean, it's only several yeah. billion customers in the in the world. Yeah. So, you know, again, it, it's a, it's a new post. It only affects everything. Um, and it only took them a year to patch it. So, and, th- and here's the thing. They're not, they are, they're choosing to leave Windows Server 2003 unpatched, even though they are still supporting it for another five months. To me, this is kind of, uh, I don't know, because a lot of, a lot of businesses aren't going to upgrade to their latest things. And so they are running Windows 2003 still um, in public facing 
um, business critical roles. And so this is, I mean, you know, it's a great way to motivate people to get off of server 2003. Yeah. Have you heard of that bug? We're not fixing. Maybe you should upgrade, uh, give us some money for a new license. Um, but yeah, and then, and here's the thing. And, and this is what makes it all the dumber. They in a Microsoft posted an example of how it can be exploited and they're leaving a supported OS unpatched. Yeah, we're not going to support that. And if you want to exploit it, here's how it would work. So it was just, <laughs> there's no words to describe. I mean, we should have named this show institutional stupidity yes. um, because everything seems to do that. But it, I, I don't know. To me, that's what made it stupid. We're not patching this and here's how it works. Go here and do this. Um, so, I mean, this is, this cannot be thought of as anything other than uh, a, an outright ploy to get people to buy new versions of Windows Server. There's no other way to look at this. Definitely not. Cause they've, they've, they've patched it. It's fixed. So the odds are that the fix can be applied to the older stuff, uh, with minimal changes, if any changes at all. Um, and so there's a fix out there, but we're not going to offer it to you. But just to make sure that this is a real problem, we're going to give proof of concept code that tells bad guys how to break in to our own stuff that we're choosing not to upgrade. Did I miss anything? Um, yeah, I, I, no, you didn't. That's what idiots came up with this. And I'm asking that question, you know, why would you, why would you do this? Um, I, I just, I don't understand it. I mean, okay. I understand from the money, but Microsoft has been very good about acknowledging security, their products and their, their line from top to bottom is much more secure than it was, you know, two, three, four, five years ago. They, they're getting better and better about security. And then they come out and do something stupid like this. It, it I just, I don't understand it. Right. From an, I mean, you know, obviously it's called uncommon sense because if it were common, more people would have it. I stick by that. Um, I might even start a hashtag uncommon sense. Yeah. I'm, that I, needs to trend. I may go back and retitle this show institutional stupidity because it has been a theme. Uh, I just, I can't even wrap my feeble little brain around the logic that makes this seem like a good idea. Um, now, you, you could say it's been around 15 years and it's not widely known. Uh, so maybe that would be your your excuse for, for not repairing it. It's not that big. Except that you just made it widely known by distributing instructions, essentially, on how to hack your own OS. Yeah. So basically, don't use any public Wi-Fi ever. Um, if you, I would even say, if you have Windows, which, you know, most people don't have Windows Server 2003 on their laptop that they walk around, um, although laptops have the specs to meet any server requirement. But if you have a company that uses Citrix or some other remote desktop to a terminal server and that terminal server is windows 2003 then you've got a problem 2003 is still everywhere it's still a very commonly used platform not for mission critical stuff but it's out there in the market still for like you said for uh, special use things um and yeah they they may be directly connected to the internet and by definition connected to the rest of your network yep yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm disgusted. It's not the first time Microsoft has disgusted me, but yeah, it it certainly reminds me of why I run Linux. <laughs> and and there are lots of disgusting things about Linux. Don't get me wrong, but it's just this is unconscionable uh, as a company. This is in, it's such bad business practice. Um, I I can, I'm not I, that how did I did about. I can't even talk. So let's, Seth, bail me out here and tell me about what happened this week in history. Okay. This week in history, something everybody knows and loves. Um, uh, April, if I could say the month, 
February the 14th, 2005, YouTube is launched by a group of college students, eventually becoming the largest video sharing website in the world and a main source for viral videos. And what a lot of people today probably don't realize and some of the younger generation don't know, it wasn't invented by YouTube. They purchased it. Oh, uh, yeah, by Google. Uh, Google purchased YouTube. Uh, for a billion you know. dollars. Huge yeah. payday. Yeah, poor, uh, I feel bad for the guy who developed Hotmail. He sold out to Microsoft for like a million. You know, what was he thinking? <laughs> he was thinking a million dollars. <laughs> right. He was, you know, uh, he probably regrets that all I got was what, you know, I, I invented Hotmail and all I got was a measly $1 million. Yeah. He needs, somebody needs to make, you know, if he would contact me, I would have that shirt made for him because I feel so bad about the fact <laughs> he only made a million dollars off of it. A million dollars is still a heck of a lot of money. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, just because it made me think about it. The the big Powerball multi-state lottery got up to $400 million uh, last week, and everybody was out buying their tickets. And somebody won it. It went back down. And the thing is, it's now $40 million, and nobody's going to buy a ticket this week because $40 million. Right. It's 40 million. Um, <laughs> we are so messed up about what we think a lot of money is. Uh, but yeah, go YouTube. Uh, the very first video ever put on YouTube was, uh, some, uh, video of the guys at the zoo. And it was right. just a test video they uploaded. And when, when Google first bought it, and I'm pretty sure a billion is right. I'm pretty sure that's how much they paid for it. But when Google first bought it, they set aside a giant check, chunk of money for lawsuits. They're like, yeah, we know this is going to be bad. We know we're going to get sued over this. We're going to pay a billion dollars for this company and set aside half a billion for lawsuits just to settle because we know people are going to upload copyrighted stuff. And, you know, they saw they had foresight there and it was, when was this? What year? 2005. I don't know when they bought them. Let's say 2007. Um, so eight years or more later, I still don't think they're making money off of YouTube. Well, they might, but it's like a lost leader. So, you know, right. it's like, it's like the can of tuna fish you buy for 50 cents, um, that, um, it gets you in the door to the other products. So. Yeah, and, and I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that the Microsoft shows on a profit on paper for YouTube. Uh, you know, because well, they, they actually purchased it in 2006 okay. for 1.65 billion in stock okay forgive me i i underestimated one point one and a half billion wow that's what you call a big i would not mind a billion dollars just say if you wanted to give me a billion dollars in stock even in a good company that's worth it you know i'd be okay with that i'm just saying anybody out there is thinking you know would mark mind if i gave him a billion dollars i wouldn't would you sell element op for one billion (laughs) dollars How fast could you write the check? <laughs> I could find something else to do without without yeah. any problem. I would open Element Bopey and, yeah. and keep on going. <laughs> Element Andy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Anything else? Anything else? Your tip of the week or source. So closing. What do you have this week, Seth, while my brain quietly strokes out? All right. It has been such a long time since we have talked about bacon yeah, on the wrong? Everyday Linux podcast. There's a problem with so, that. so I searched the interwebs high and low, far and wide, and stumbled upon this Yahoo Food website. Are these the 21 best bacon dishes in America? So I have not eaten yet. Bacon, mac and cheese, quesadilla. I, wow. Yeah. Hypnotic donuts <laughs> looks awesome. Um, it, you know, I've been, of course, to Sotolux where, um, you can get the chicken fried bacon, uh, chicken and waffles with bacon. That sounds awesome. The one pound BLT, the BBB bacon burger, the death muffin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's what they titled it. It's, uh, Diesel's Bacon Explosion, a bacon stuffed, bacon weave wrapped sausage loaf covered with maple syrup and 
everything else. Oh my god! And gosh. that's here in add, Atlanta. I'll have to check that add out. Add to it cheddar and a poached egg and put it on an English muffin. Okay, Mark. Next time I come to Atlanta, we're going <laughs> there. We're going. I went to a place not too long ago that had something called Frank the Ripper. It was uh-huh. a a quarter pound hot dog wrapped in bacon, deep fried, and served on a uh, hoagie roll. Um, yeah, I did. I ate the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Um, the Comet Cafe every Sunday. I might not be at the show next Sunday. I Milwaukee. might be in Milwaukee where you get free baskets of bacon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, I can eat a lot of bacon. That might be financially responsible of me to drive there and eat free bacon. So meatloaf with beer gravy served on bacon chive mashed potatoes. It's just. You know, we bacon has been sorely missed. We miss you, bacon, and we welcome you back to the Element OP podcast. So, are these the twenty-one best bacon burgers, artery clogging, uh, emergency room filling dishes in the world? Let us know. Awesome, bacon, bacon for the win. Uh, wow, this is pretty amazing. Uh, I don't. What is it about bacon? What is it that just makes people? lose all control i mean vegans like bacon they don't admit won't admit it but they do everybody likes bacon it's it's salty it's crunchy it's tangy it's spicy it's smoky it's just it hits all the notes in all the right places all right that's why i'm glad i'm a christian and not a jew so (laughs) yeah i i don't know but bacon is just phenomenally awesome i i want so and like i say mark we're going to diesel's next time i come to atlanta or we will no longer be friends (laughs) That's quite an ultimatum right there. You're willing to end 25 years of friendship over bacon. I mean, come on. You know you would, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's done. It's a done deal. Cool. I, I've known Seth longer than I've known my wife, but he's willing to divorce me over bacon. You know, some things in life are important, Mark, and bacon <laughs> is one. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and that's our show this week, uh, disjointed and discombobulated as it was. Uh, Chris, we hope you enjoyed your birthday bash. I mean, are getting over your illness. Um, and we hope to see you next week. Uh, and listeners, as always, we covet your feedback. What do you have to say? What did we do well? What did we not do so well? What could we do better? What suggestions do you have? We're open for all of it. Go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. Let us know, uh, if, uh, uh, let us whatever I everything I just said. Click the contact us button at the top of the page. Send us an email if you want to send an email directly. EDL at uh will be the place to do that. Or if you would like to be um, like uh, a guy whose name I've already forgotten, Robert from uh, Alaska, who is probably really cold right now. Uh, if you'd like to be like Robert and be on the show uh, with your own vo- voice, you can call five five nine I am Opie from anywhere in North America. That's a free call if you're outside. North America, just send me an audio file. Send me a link to it somewhere on something, and uh, I'll go that way. I like to hear, hear have listeners uh, chime in in their own way. Um, also, a personal note, if you have AT&T Home Internet Service, DSL, and you can't get to the Element OP website, let me know, um, because I, I think there may be a problem, uh, but I'm not sure how widespread it is. So if, if you're out there and you haven't been able to get to our site or you've had intermittent problems for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months, uh, let me know. Send me an email uh, and let me know that's happening because I, I may need to call somebody and yell at them. Uh, so that's it. That's all I have to say, Seth. As always, thanks for being an awesome host. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everything.